we left off in chapter 16 with the uh, armies gathering at a place called uh, Harmageddon, um, which has come to being like the end of the world. Um, but nothing actually happens here. Not, nothing. They just gathered there um, and in the mountains and the islands run away. And now here we encounter another character in 17 um, who has like, just like the beasts and the mark of the beast, there's lots of speculation about who this represents. I feel like we can make a pretty definitive uh, understanding of who it is supposed to be. Um, but we have to remember that this is not chronological. We've already had, there is judgment that happened already in Revelation. We're going to have more judgment here. Um, this is not about predicting the future. It's about being faithful. And so uh, with that said, let's read Revelation. Oh, and most of it is symbolic, not literal. There will not be a literal seven-headed beast. I am convinced of it. So Revelation 17 says this, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls spoke with me. Come, he said, I will show you the judgment upon the great prostitute who is seated on deep waters. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on earth have become drunk with the wine of her whoring. Wow. Then he brought me in a spirit-inspired trance to a desert. There I saw a woman seated on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names. It had seven heads and ten horns. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing, and she glittered with gold and jewels and pearls. In her hand, she held a gold cup full of vile and impure things that came from her activity as a prostitute. A name, a mystery, was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the vile things of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk on the blood of the saints and the blood of Jesus's witnesses. I was completely stunned when I saw her. Then the angel said to me, why are you amazed? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the seven-headed, ten-horned beast that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. Those who live on earth and whose names haven't been written in the scroll of life from the time the earth was made, will be amazed when they see the beast because it was and is not and will again be present. This calls for an understanding mind. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings. Five kings have fallen. The one is and the other hasn't yet come. When that king comes, he must remain only for a short time. As for the beast that was and is not, it is itself an eighth king that belongs to the seven and is going to destruction. The ten horns that you saw are ten kings who haven't yet received royal power, but they will receive royal authority for an hour along with the beast. These kings will be one of, of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, but the lamb will emerge victorious for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. Those with him are called chosen, are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples, crowds, nations, and languages. As for the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will destroy her and strip her bare. They will devour her flesh and burn her with fire because God moved them to carry out his purposes. That is why they will be of one mind and give their royal power to the beast until God's words have been accomplished. 
The woman who saw, you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Whew. That was a lot. What things did you notice here? What questions pop up in your mind as we read about someone who is commonly called the whore of Babylon? It's a nice Christian name. Uh, harlot is, is another one. Uh, the prostitute. Well, I missed that one. I'm sorry. I keep, I'm talking with my hand and I keep letting go of the space bar. Um, what is Babylon? I, I mean, I know what it was in the Old Testament, but what is it now? Yes. So Babylon is the great ancient enemies of the Jewish people. First was Egypt, who enslaved them, and then Babylon, who carried them off into exile. And so by calling this woman Babylon, John is saying that this woman is a great enemy of the people of God. And the great enemy of the people of God is not just Babylon from the past, but I am convinced that it is Rome. It, it, John is calling Rome Babylon and a prostitute to boot. So he's not using very flattering imagery here. So is this all in the past? So I would say yes and no. Um, the, the recurring thing I read as I was studying for this week is Babylon, Egypt, Rome, these judgments, this, um, this idea that the church needs to be faithful in the face of all that is ugly and broken and evil in the world happens throughout history. So there was a time when it was Egypt, and there was a time when it was Babylon, and there was a time when it was Rome, and there was a time when it was the Church of England, and there was a time when it's, and so we're constantly faced with decisions on how we're going to live while these beasts and prostitutes uh, make war against the Lamb. And so not literal beasts, not literal prostitutes, but um, evil powers and ideas and the worship of self and luxury and wealth and sensuality. That's still something that we have to, so it was in the past that Rome fell. Rome was judged and fell. And there will be a day when whatever the next great beast is, if it's our country, our country will be judged and fall. If it's Nazi Germany, Nazi Germany was a, was a beast and the church was seduced by its power, but it was judged and fell. And so this is less about at the end of time and more about, it's less about predicting the end of time and more about reassuring the people of God that the people and the things that oppress you and make your life miserable are going to be destroyed. Maybe not right away, maybe not in 2000 years, but they will lose in the end. Their power is short. That's what most scholars think. It talks about the kings, five kings have fallen. One hasn't yet come. People have tried to pick out who those kings are. You can Google it and people have theories about it was this Pope and that Pope and it was, or it was these Roman emperors. If we start counting at Julius Caesar, if we, it's probably just meant to be that their kingdom is not forever. 
and the kingdom of the lambs is forever. But it's probably supposed to make people think about Rome. The, the seven heads or the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Rome is set in seven hills. Um, that was one of their the names that they made, the, the city of seven hills or something like that. And so there, there's illusion and there's metaphor. Um, he talks about some things that had happened. The city of Tyree had had wooed some of God's people away. And there's some references to some Old Testament stuff in here. I don't have all the cross references with me. So is it is it past or is it future? Yes. It is a true, it, there are powers and principalities at work in the world that are evil and that will seek to seduce the church and to abandoning the way of Jesus. And we need to know that those powers will not win in the end. They will be destroyed. They will be stripped bare. They will be uh, powerless. And so don't give in. Now, we also believe that there will be a full coming of the kingdom of God where once and for all, all evil will be defeated. And so we see, we see this play out over and over and over again, but I think we'll see it play out in finality in the future. So I don't know if I'm answering your question or confusing you more, but um, it's, it's, it's the truth about the world and we look forward in anticipation to when that truth is full and final and there are no more beasts and dragons and prostitutes. Does that make sense? A little bit? Anybody else notice anything, question anything? I think it kind of bothers me how like prostitution is considered almost like an evil thing when like most of the reasons that people like came into it were like victimization kind of like it's less like they chose to do it as like in a thing to like get people it was more like a way of survival yeah absolutely 100 percent uh a way of survival definitely um one of the reasons i think it's used here is that throughout scripture particularly in the old testament um infidelity is is a way that they reference the people of god abandoning the way of god and so like the book of hosea hosea is told to marry a woman who is a prostitute and then to stand up and say look my wife's cheating on me and that's what you're doing to god and so it's a it's a spiritual illusion but i do think that you are right there are some serious justice issues at stake that have pushed women into and there are men too uh, into situations where they're doing it as a means of survival or they're doing it as because they're a victim of some oppression or injustice. Um, and so then there we're hopeful that this kingdom that's coming is just and right. And we will hear in just a moment that Jesus is faithful and true and that, that Jesus can be trusted with those people who have been victimized uh, against their will. So I don't know if that's reassuring to you at all. Um, but I'm, but I'm with you. A couple other things. Um, the, the 10 horns or the Kings and allies, they're, they're the people that are going to help, um, help Rome. They give their allegiance to Rome. They carry out Rome's policies. 
Um, but eventually they're going to destroy her and devour her and burn her with fire. And so what ends up happening is that Rome in, in actual history is overrun by a bunch of tribes um, that are around it. It's not overrun by a world superpower. It's all these other people that they had exploited and taxed and made to do their own bidding, getting fed up and coming and overthrowing Rome. So we have here this woman who is, um, who is seductive and dressed in luxury and fine things and trying to seduce the world. Um, and then we have the church who is described in Revelation as a bride. And so we have two competing images of, of who, which woman are we going to align ourselves with? The woman who is, who is seductive and, and vile or the woman who is pure and holy? Um, let's go to 18 unless someone else has some questions. Don't want to skip anything that makes you pause or think. Lots of people consider there's a lot of anti-Catholic rhetoric around uh, the, this whore of Babylon. Um, they think that, the, that she describes the Pope um, because the Pope wears fine clothes and things. There's lots of people that wear fine clothes. Um, I think that's, that's just a little bit bogus. So anyway. What was, what was about the uh, gold and the jewels? I mean, what do they represent? Her, her wealth and her luxury. And so the idea is, and we're going to see here, um, there's a funeral for her in just a moment, and that the world enjoyed luxury and wealth and having all these fine things. But in order to get those fine things, they had to go lie with the woman. And the woman was not the bride, the woman was the harlot. And so by giving yourself over to, the, to Rome and to the people in the ways of Rome, to the emperor of Rome, uh, we can make ourselves rich and comfortable and dress nice and look nice. We can, but we're getting drunk off of vile things, um, which I think is, that's, I think the message for us, like we can, we can justify a whole lot of stuff because look, we, it's good for me and I have all this stuff, but are we, are we being seduced by things that are not the way of Jesus? Verse one in chapter 18, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority and the earth was filled with light because of his glory. He called out with a loud voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a lair for every unclean spirit. She's a lair for every unclean bird and a lair for every unclean and disgusting beast because all the nations have fallen due to the wine of her lustful passion. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her and the merchants of the earth became rich from the power of her loose and extravagant ways. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, so that you don't take part in her sins and don't receive any of her plagues. Her sins have piled up as high as heaven and God remembered her unjust acts. Give her what she has given to others. Give her back twice as much for what she has done. In the cup that she has poured, pour her twice as much. To the extent that she glorified herself and indulged her loose and extravagant ways, give her pain and grief. In her heart, she says, I sit like a queen. I am not a widow. I'll never see grief. This is why her plagues will come in a single day. Deadly disease, grief, and hunger. She will be consumed by fire because the Lord God who judges her is powerful. 
the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality with her and shared her loose and extravagant ways will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke from her burning. They will stand a long way off because they are afraid of the pain she suffers. And they will say, oh, the horror, Babylon, you great city, you powerful city. In a single hour, your judgment has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, and fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, all those things made of scented wood, ivory, fine wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrant ointment, and frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, and wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, and carriages, and slaves, even human lives. The fruit your whole being craved has gone from you. All your glitter and glamour are lost to you, never ever to be found again. The merchants who sold these things and got rich by her will stand a long way off because they fear the pain she suffered. They will weep and mourn and say, oh, the horror, the great city that wore fine linen, purple and scarlet, who glittered with gold, jewels and pearls. In just one hour, such great wealth was destroyed. Every sea captain, every seafarer, sailors and all who make their living on the sea stood a long way off. They cried out as they saw the smoke from her burning and said, what city was ever like the great city? They threw dust on their heads. They cried out weeping and mourning. They said, oh, the horror, the great city where all who have ships at sea became so rich by her prosperity. In just one hour, she was destroyed. Rejoice over her, heaven, you saints, apostles, and prophets, because God has condemned her as she condemned you. Then a powerful angel picked up a stone that was like a huge millstone and threw it into the sea saying with such violent force, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down and it won't be found anymore. The sound of harpists and musicians of pipers and trumpeters will never be heard among you again. No craftsman of any kind will ever be found among you again. The sound of the handmill will never be heard among you again. The light of a lamp will never shine among you Again, the sound of a bridegroom and bride will never be heard among you again because your merchants ran the world, because all the nations were deceived by the spell you cast, and because the blood of the prophets, of saints, and of all who have been slaughtered on the earth was found among you. All right, so here we have a funeral for Babylon the Great, this woman who is representative of, I believe, Rome and of any power, uh, anything that might tempt us away from the way of Jesus. So what did you notice or pick up on or what questions popped in your head in chapter 18? We're going to fly through this tonight. Good. Everybody's just ready to, we just want to know how it ends. Get us to the end. What do you think the hour meant? He mentioned an hour in several different places. I think it's just meant to be in a short amount of time. So it talked about a thousand years at one point, um, and we'll see a thousand years in a minute. Uh, three and a half months was a longer period of time. They talked about three and a half years, 42 months. Those were periods of waiting that were long and prolonged. But here it's just an hour. It's just a short moment of time. So their destruction is going to come quickly. 
we'll see in that angel come down from heaven with the great authority kind of what would that represent i mean is it so basically it's an angel announcing the finish that babylon is done and babylon has already been like in history babylon is gone by this point but when these people are reading it they're going to read it as rome they're hearing that an angel is declaring the end and destruction of Rome, um, which is not something they could have wrapped their heads around. It'd be like us waking up tomorrow and an angel or getting a letter in church next week and we're reading it and it's somebody we trust and it's the, the apostle John, he says, the United States of America is gonna be gone in an hour. Like we would have a hard time believing that, right? Like we just, I mean, that's how, Rome was the global power, they ran, the world they were the strongest and the wealthiest and and here they're they're being told that it will be no more and the the sea captains can't imagine it the kings can't imagine it they just cannot wrap their head around the fact that this great city rome was the most powerful city in the world in probably history at that point in time and it can be gone in an instant which then the message to the church is these people that are persecuting you, these people that you're tempted to uh, collaborate with and make concessions for and turn a blind eye to some of these things so that you can get along. It's not worth it because it's temporary and it's going to go away really quickly. And all the wealth that she offers you means nothing. Um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yep. I find it interesting that the kings uh, and the merchants and the captains of the ships, they all stand a little bit further away because they don't want to, to experience the pain that she suffers. And I feel like that's exactly, that's how I operate. I don't know if that's how you operate. Like we want to dabble in whatever is good for us. And then when they, they're like, oh no, that wasn't us. Like they're in trouble. Um, you know, you're playing with your sibling growing up and someone breaks the vase and you're like, it was them but you were just as complicit. You were, you threw them across the room and that's why they broke the vase. Um, and, and so here we have earthly Kings and merchants and, and captains who have gotten rich off the back of um, even slave trade. Like I, I, that, that huge list of things, like there's nothing wrong with gold, silver, jewels, cinnamon, uh, oil, and like cattle, but, but they're trading these things, making incredible amounts of money, probably not, doing it in wholesome, there's, this is trafficked, it's use of slave labor, slave labor, they even have the buying and selling of humans for slavery. So you're getting rich off of unjust, unjust practices. And so you're going, they're going to suffer the consequences as well. Verse 14 says, the fruit your whole being craved is gone. All, the, all your glitter and glamor are lost. Like all the things that attract us to Rome and it, her power and her seduction, it's all gone in an instant. And it's not worth choosing evil or compromising with evil for. Then, the, then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. That be referencing to God then? So, so probably, yeah. So that's, that's 
good of you to pick up on the commentaries state that that doesn't identify whose that voice is, but it's probably Jesus saying, come on, come out of her. God's intention is for us to be faithful and to experience salvation and to be free, but we got to come out. And so there's just constant opportunities for us to wake up and come out. So these seven churches, they're reading about, okay, the world in which we live is actually this great harlot who rides a beast and she's going to be destroyed by the very things that have made her powerful. And what are we doing? And Jesus is like, come out of her, come on, get out. And so not like you have to move and leave Rome, but you have to let go of her ways and find a better way. Um, in fact, in verse or in chapter 17, I didn't mention it. Um, it's the beast and the horns, and they're the ones who are making war against the lamb. And so they're on the offensive. And now it's the lamb who will, who will provide defense to protect the lamb's people. Um, who will be, we'll find out, all people. It's not just certain select folks, it's everybody. Um, starting at 21, they list all the things that will never happen again. No more harps, musicians, pipers, trumpets, no craftsmen, no handmills, no more weddings, no light. Like it's just final. You Rome will be finished, which I imagine to the church is an incredibly reassuring this is we are being oppressed we are being crushed and here we're hearing that they will be no more which has got like got to give them a little bold like we can do this because their end is coming and it might not have come in their lifetime but it's coming in the grand scheme of things does that make sense they would not have read this as okay let's try and hold it up and try and figure out the events so that we can see when rome will actually fall they're reading it as, okay, God is in charge. God will make it right. We can hold on. We will not be seduced by this Rome. We will not be seduced by power. We will not be seduced by wealth. We will stay faithful to the way. Or hopefully that's how they read it. <laughs> I think one of the fascinating, most fascinating verses is 24. So it says that... Um, well, I guess it starts before that, but the, the, let's go to 23. The light of a lamp will never shine among you again. The sound of a bridegroom and bride will never be heard among you again because your merchants ran the world, because all the nations were deceived by the spell you cast, and because the blood of prophets, of saints, and all who have been slaughtered on the earth was found among you. What do you notice in that last sentence there? It's not just the church that the that Rome has to answer for. It's the it's the fact that they deceived the whole world. One of the nations were deceived. Like the 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 God is for all of people, but people have been deceived by the folks like Rome and by folks like Babylon and by folks like Egypt and by folks like Nazi Germany, and it has led nations astray. And so you're going to account for the fact that you led other people astray and you deceived them from the way of the lamb. And for the blood of the prophets and the saints, that makes sense. Like you hurt God's people 
so you're going to pay for that. But he, and all who have been slaughtered on the earth. I mean, Rome was a war waging machine. And so they went and they slaughtered people all over the face of the earth, most of whom probably did not know or ever had heard of Jesus. But those lives mattered to God. God is for those people. And Rome, you and your evilness will, will have to pay account to what you have done for all who have been slaughtered on the earth. I love that detail. I love that it's everybody. It's not just that God's like, oh, you were mean to the church. It's that you were evil to people everywhere. And your evilness to people everywhere led them away from Jesus, ended their lives prematurely. You treated them unjustly. You treated them as slaves. You got rich off their labor. And it's not okay. So our God is going to come to make everything right. Anything else there in 18? I think it's interesting how a book that like is supposed to bring like hope and like a way out has become like a book of like terrifying like things to come like the scary end is coming. Yeah, why do you think that is, Brianna? Do you have any ideas? Um, because the church gets a lot of things backwards. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. And I think. I, this is my this is my uh, opinion. I think that it's because we have been guilty of of being seduced by things that are powerful and shiny and fancy, and so we read it from the place of power rather than from a place of oppression. And so I think if we read this uh, in communist China or in uh, militant Islamic countries where you can't be publicly a Christian, I think we'd read it differently. Um, but I think in our culture, we've largely given in. Like we, we, we do all the things that our country asks us to do or that our culture asks us to do. Um, we, we don't ask a whole lot of questions of ourselves or of our world. We can't imagine. <coughs> I mean, let's just take, for example, the election. Um, we have people saying, if we don't vote this one certain way, then, then it's the end of the Christian faith. Let me tell you something. Any Christian faith that's dependent on a political party is not dependent on Jesus and is therefore not the faith that's founded in the person of Jesus. We, it doesn't, there are places in the world where it's illegal to be a Christian and the church is thriving. So it has nothing to do with who are... Now, I think we have a responsibility to promote good social policy that's good for the world and for our neighbors. I think like I participate in that, but we can't even imagine a different way of doing things. Like we have bought into this idea that it's only through voting and it's only through getting the right people or having the power or um, we, we, we just, we struggle. And I, so I think that we are a very comfortable church in our Western world. And I think that comfort has has made it so that we read this as some scary thing that's going to happen way out there and all the bad guys who we deem are bad are going to get theirs as opposed to reading it as we need to stay faithful because there is a lot of evil lurking in the world and it's attractive to us and that's why I think that the vision that John sees is depicting this woman as vile and gross and she's carrying around a cup of, of filth like it's meant to be, it's disgusting. It's, it's revealing who she really is. Um, and we need to see that. I think that we, we will compromise a lot of 
things that Jesus asks us not to for the sake of power, for the sake of security, for the sake of wealth, uh, for the sake of having people like us chasing after what feels good. Uh, one of the books I was reading talked about we have these big Babylons that are that are superpowers like countries. And we have Babylons that are like the culture and, and the values of our culture. And then we have Babylons of the heart, he says. Like we have things in our heart that are the same thing where we know better, but we're easily tricked into doing what we feel like doing or what is easier, what will bring us most comfort rather than staying faithful to the way of Jesus. And so if we're reading this as people who are oppressed and who are hurting and who are feeling the, the crushing pressure of the world around us. And we're thinking, you know what, maybe I should just go to the market and put some incense and prayers to Caesar. And then you read this and you're like, Caesar is going to get his and all of Rome's going to come crashing down, whether literally or spiritually and all of her wealth will be destroyed and she'll be burned and it won't matter anymore. That helps me then to be faithful to the way of Jesus. And I think, I think we need that message still today as we're moving towards an election season, like regardless of who is elected or regardless of whether we're overrun by Canada tomorrow, like it does not change the mission of the church. Like we are to love our neighbors as ourselves and be faithful to the way of Jesus and proclaim that Jesus is Lord and our salvation is not in the voting booth. And it's not our, our government. It's not our military. It's not our bank account. It's not how much money we have it's jesus and jesus alone and i don't i don't know how to guard against it other than to continually come back to the gathering of the people of god and say this is the way this is how we're supposed to live we're supposed to reject and resist and i can't choose what is what is best for me uh in a in a vacuum like amber asked for prayer over a class right it might not seem like that big a deal, but like we need a collective group of people that help us to weigh decisions we make because there's, it's easy, like it, there's push and pull. And if I choose what I think is best for me, it might not be what's actually good. And so we have, we need the body of Christ. We need to sing songs like I am a child of God because sometimes I forget and I act like I'm a child of my country or I act like I'm a child of my bank account and I let all those things define how I view the world and how I spend my time and how I interact with other people. Right before we logged on, I, I made a mistake and I got on Facebook. Don't do that before church because sometimes it will, it will cause your heart to some grief. And somebody who's a follower of Jesus, who I know loves Jesus, posted an awful picture about people that vote differently than them. Just smearing people. And I thought that you have been deceived. You can have your political opinions, but when it causes you to belittle people that Jesus loves and died for, not, not that you have strong, like you can have disagreements. And there's times when we stand up and say, this is right and this is wrong. But when we're smearing people and belittling people and calling them names in the name of our politics, well, then we've given our worship to something other than the way of Jesus. And I know I've been guilty of doing that. I'm not pointing a finger at this person because I know I've done the same thing. But I need this weekly reminder that the way of the lamb is the way of victory. And we did not get to chapter 19 tonight. I was ready for it. We're going to have to wait. We'll do 19 and 20 next week. But the, the one who is faithful and true is coming. And so we hold 
on to the hope that the one who is faithful and true is coming and going to make right all the wrongs and all the people who have spilled the blood of innocence and all the people who have deceived and all the people who have gotten caught up in something that was bigger than them. Because, see, I don't even think we realize that we've given our worship to these other things. And I think that's why the beast and, and the prostitute, they get the worst of the judgment because they're the ones responsible for deceiving the people of God. And I think that, I think that God's going to dole it out in, in fair and just doses. Uh, but he's faithful and true, and so we can trust him with it. So we come to the table of the Lamb. And remember that this is the way. Um, my communion liturgy was going to be based on chapter 19, but I'm going to do it tonight anyway. In just a minute, spoiler alert, Jesus is going to show up. And the only weapon that's mentioned is the word of God. And the army that comes with him doesn't lift a finger. This is not our battle. This is Jesus' battle. The psalm I read at the beginning said salvation is from his arm alone. It is Christ who is going to get it done. Our job is to be faithful, to announce it, to proclaim it, to live it, to demonstrate it to the world around us, to say to those who are deceived, hey, there is a better way. And that way looks like loving God with all our heart and loving our neighbor as ourselves, surrendering to the way of the lamb, to finding the way to the fullness of life by surrendering, by experiencing true forgiveness and salvation, not just salvation for someday, but salvation from all the things that lead to destruction and death today. We don't have to wait for the end of time. This is not the end of the world as we know it. There are Babylons in our heart and there are Babylons in our world that lead us astray. And so we come to the table where we find grace and forgiveness and second chances and hope and victory and belonging.